0: And, uh, and so that's uh, intense, good for him, um, and uh, we'll just watch from a distance and just pray. And, um, also, just kind of a, a, a note, um, it, starting in September, on September 11th, we're going to be launching um, small groups again. We're going to do a church-wide study, and we're really excited about uh, what we're going to be doing there. And, uh, and so if you want to get connected, if you're not connected, um, if you don't know that you're not connected, um, you're probably not connected. Um, and so we want you to be connected to our church and to be with people that can help you grow in your faith. And uh, so sign-ups will start next week for um, the fall launch of our small groups, and we'd love to have you sign up for that. So... Um, we are going to be in Acts chapter eleven today, and so if you want to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter eleven, um, the the text will not be on the screen necessarily for you today. So uh, you'll want to open those Bibles up or your devices up uh, for that. But last week we covered Acts chapter ten, and uh, we talked about how um, Cornelius um, was uh, was kind of had an interaction with Peter and uh, Cornelius. Figured out or found out was revealed to by from God um, that the gospel is for everybody, and and Peter communicated that the gospel to Cornelius, and and so now it's not just the Jews; it's now the Gentiles as well. And so we kind of unpacked that. And the the thing is, as we talked about it, we talked about how we struggle with this idea uh, as Americans of not showing partiality or favoritism. And I found this sign. And uh, it says, God shows no favoritism, but the sign guy does, go Cardinals, okay? Uh, It did not originally say Cardinals, you might notice that the text is different, but because Greg is gone, we went from a Cubs church to a Cardinals church, okay? So we're now a Cardinals church, and we can put that on our sign, so go Cardinals, um, And we need uh, some kind of emphasis. And just because no one can deny a cute kid, I have a short video of my two-year-old son. Do you like the Cardinals? So that's just kind of a short video, but he just will randomly will be driving together in the van or on a walk, and he'll just start saying "Go Cardinals, Go Cardinals." So I mean, you can't deny that. And so we're going to say "Go Cardinals" today. Uh, but it's hard to show as as uh, as humans. It's hard for us to not show favoritism or partiality. And we talked about um, just how for us, you know, we're almost. We're people that chooses, choose sides all the time, and uh, we discovered in the text last week that that is not how God does it, uh, that God doesn't show favorites, um, and it goes against the grain of who our sinful natures are, um, but God just orchestrated this meeting between Peter and Cornelius, and Peter realized that God's plan is for everybody to be saved through Jesus, and I don't know if you've had time to think about it or not, but at the end of last week's message, I challenge you to think about who are you treating as unclean? Who is someone that, that you've been playing favorites with or not playing favorites with and excluding them, keeping them at arm's length because it can be uh, tough for us to, to associate with them. And I don't know if you've had a chance to think about it or not, but if you haven't, I would just encourage you to really press in to that concept, to that thought. Because our, our sinful nature, like I shared, it is that we play favorites, is that we exclude people from our lives that we don't agree with or we don't associate with or for whatever reason, it, it causes us to, to struggle sometimes. And I, I would just ask that you would pray about who, who are you treating as unclean and, and to ask God to just change your heart. So Acts chapter 11, we're just going to dive in and uh, and start with verse 1, Acts chapter 11. It says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also had received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They saw what, what Peter had did, and they're just calling him out. And they're just saying, hey, lo- look what you did, and that's not okay with us. And then he said, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. This might sound a bit familiar if you were here last week, but listen, just as a refresher. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds and then I heard a voice telling me get up Peter kill and eat bacon for the first time I replied surely not Lord nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth and the voice spoke from heaven a second time do not call anything impure that God has made clean and this happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, The Lord, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning at Pentecost. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That sounds really familiar. Because it was repeated for the third time in two chapters, that exact story. We've heard this account in great detail three different times now. And so when when something is repeated that much, God is trying to, to knock on our thick skulls and say, Hey, this is important. This is something you need to make sure you get a hold of. You have got to listen to what I'm trying to say. And it's that everybody deserves the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. God's plan is that the gospel is for everyone. And so the same point as I had last week is my first point this week. God's plan is that the gospel is for everybody. We need to have that repeated to us almost on a weekly basis. In the kind of society and the culture that we live in, and right now we all know that there's racial tensions, Coming up every every week, there's another story of, of, of some racial tension and, and whites versus the rest of the world, it seems like. And, and all this stuff is happening. And it, and it might seem like that was really intentional last week for us to speak on that. And it just so happened that we planned this series uh, months ago. And then we didn't know all this stuff was gonna happen, but God's word is so timely, is so strategic that He had that good word for us to, to say. My plan is the gospel is for everybody, and I don't show favorites, and I don't have any partiality, and I want everyone to be in my kingdom, and we need to get on board with that. Verse 18, it says, When they heard this, they had no further objections, and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I love this verse. For, for for a couple of reasons. The first is that they praised God, that their God had more grace than they did. Our God has more grace than we do, and he wants to bring everybody into the fold. Any any sinner, anybody that's, that's lived wrongly, he wants to bring them into his kingdom. He wants to bring them into his mix. And so they worship that their God is so big, he wants to bring everybody into the mix. And we need to praise God this morning for the very same reason. We just need to take a moment and think that our God is a God of grace. And I also love this response because it's so humble. It's so humble, it's willingly saying, Man, we were wrong. We we didn't understand this. We we didn't get this. And, and and it's very clear that God is at work in this very specific way, and we can't deny it. And so we're gonna say we're wrong, and we are gonna worship a God of grace. And so they did. Verse 19. says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, here's what we need to know, okay? Um, this is a map that I drew, okay? So, uh, don't criticize me, okay? Um, and just so you know, this disclaimer is here, drawing is not to scale, okay? Um, this uh, is a very rough blob drawing, okay? But I, I just wanted to, it, it's going to talk about some geography here uh, for, for a few minutes. And I think it's just important for us to begin to understand how this is all playing out and how God's plan has kind of been orchestrated, okay? So here's just the quick, the, the, the quick flyover version of, of this map, okay? Here's Israel and Jerusalem is down here. Um, And I I labeled them as modern-day countries so we'd be able to get a better grasp of where all this stuff is, okay? Uh, This is Lebanon, and Antioch is up here in Lebanon. Uh, They are a Greek-speaking city. Here's Tarsus, uh, which is in Turkey. Uh, There's Cyprus. This island of Cyprus is about 100 miles from where Antioch is. They're Greek-speaking. This is Greece, and here's Athens down here at the bottom. Here's Crete, Egypt. Cyrene, uh, a, a city that's been getting a lot of news attention and has been for a long time, is Benghazi. It's it's down here in this area. Italy's up here, Sicily. Okay, so now you all know exactly where you're at. Okay, uh, almost everything uh, related to the Jews is coming from Jerusalem, and what it's uh, there, there's two kind of elements here that we need to understand. Uh, there's a dispersion which is essentially, uh, in the past, there were several, several Jewish exiles. And, uh, and so the red lines that you're seeing here uh, from Jerusalem, the, the Jews were exiled out of Jerusalem in various times and stages, and they're going to various parts of the world. They're going to Athens, they're going to Cyrene, they're going to Crete, they're going to Cyprus, they're going to Antioch. They're going to all these different places, and they're, they're being spread out. And so they called them, the, the Jews that were exiled and, and left, they were called Diaspora Jews, okay? It just means dispersed, okay? They were dispersed throughout uh, the, the known world at the time. This is almost the entirety of the known world uh, during, during the time of this writing. And then there's the scattering like we just read about in verse 19. And it's after the the initial persecution of the very first uh followers and of Jesus, uh they were kind of sent out because they're afraid, they're getting persecuted and it's none other than Paul or Saul who is doing the persecuting at the time. And so they go out to Phoenicia, they go to Cyprus, they go to Antioch and that's the green here that you're seeing, okay? So Hopefully, this begins to kind of paint a better picture of what all's happening. And these are Greek-speaking countries, and, and this is an Aramaic-speaking uh, area. Okay, so they're they're speaking different languages, they're in different cultures, and and that'll be important uh, for for what we're going to read here in a second. Okay, uh, and, and so uh, verse nineteen. Let me just read that again. It says, "Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen." was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among, um, only among the Jews. They hadn't received word of what happened in Acts, 10, Acts 10, chapter 10 yet. They, they haven't heard about Peter and, and Cornelius, and so they don't know exactly that they should be spreading the gospel. But some of them, however, had caught in word, and it says men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, so you see Cyprus up there, that's the small island 100 miles from Antioch, and then Cyrene is all the way down here near the bottom, and and it's kind of... uh, you know, they're coming from a long distance, but God is just orchestrating this. And it's it, this is important uh, that they are Greek-speaking areas because Antioch is Greek-speaking. Okay? So people from Greek-speaking areas are going to this major city of Antioch, who is also Greek-speaking. And so they, they speak the same language. They kind of understand the culture. And here's what is important to know about Antioch. Antioch is the third largest city in the known world at the time. There's 500,000 people living in Antioch, not including slaves. So it's a big deal. It's the center of major trade routes. They had things like a circus. They had aqueducts. They had the Olympics. It was the capital city. It was a place of major, major influence. And then notice how the verse... 21 says the lord's hand had been with them and i don't know if you can begin to understand how strategic it was because both of these these things the dispersion and the scattering you know nobody likes to be exiled last last i checked no, nobody likes to be sent away from their foreign country and most people don't like to be scattered because of persecution so both of these are, are really negative things, really uh, things that that I can't imagine these people are, are super excited about, but they' they're dealing with it and they're going through all these parts of the world, and they're learning greek and and I think some of the people this is just my my speculation here, but I think some of the people that are scattered, some of, some of the people that have been scattered who know the gospel, are meeting up with some of their family members and some of their friends that have been dispersed by the exile. And so they have connections already in these areas from from kind of long ago. And then they're like, hey, God's about ready to do a big work in us. And and so they go to the, the third largest city in the land, and they begin to do this incredible work in Antioch. The church is beginning to explode. And just seeing how God has been at work, and he used these terrible things for his good and for his fame and for the word of the gospel to spread like it never has before. is incredible. We, we have the benefit of having this 10,000-foot view. And sometimes in the midst of her, in the midst of trials and frustration, in the midst of things that seem like they're really bad right now, right where we're at. Sometimes we need to take a look back and and think about how God has worked and God's track record and think about what is God doing in my life through these bad things to bring more people to Him, to bring more people into this saving relationship With him, God was very strategic, I think, and I think He continues to be. Verse twenty-two. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas is this—he's this great guy. He's this follower of Jesus. He's somebody that the the early Christians really respected, and they sent him on this three hundred mile journey from from Jerusalem to Antioch. I don't know why they didn't FaceTime or Skype, and they could just see. But that didn't play out, so he makes the journey. Verse 23, it says, When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. You see Tarsus up there? It's in Turkey says, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So Barnabas grabs Paul, or Saul, who was, interestingly enough, a diaspora Jew. One who had been dis- dispersed to another part of the known world, who had learned Greek, and who had become very zealous for for the the Jewish faith until he had his conversion experience, which we covered several weeks ago. And we hear that uh, that he's now become Paul, and and that he's uh, you know zealous for for Jesus now. And so Barnabas grabs Paul, knowing his story, knowing his background, and knowing that he knows Greek, and knowing that that he can do a huge work in Antioch because of his testimony because of the way that God has already used them the way that he's converted and they taught great numbers of people together. And so this is really where the disciples became known as Christians for the very first time. They began to to get their own identity They begin to understand exactly what they're there for. They begin to understand their mission and and why they're believing and and how they need to be spreading it. And they're really just gaining traction. And so these persecution and these hardships really propel the gospel to just explode in Antioch and becomes this this large, powerful church right from the get-go. And I wonder, without the hardships, without the persecution and the exile, I wonder if they might not have been able to have an inside connection into this largely Greek-speaking city. God was very strategic. And he took what was bad and he used it for his good. I think we can just see Here, the early church, the early church was evangelistically focused. They were evangelistically focused. They knew they had the best news they could have possibly had. They have a hope that no one else has, and they had to tell others about it, and they wanted to be strategic in the way that they did it. They knew that the field was ripe for the picking, and they seized the opportunity. And as I think about this church in Antioch, I want to tend to to compare. And I want to think about it in, in relation to where our church is at here today. Clinton, Illinois. First Christian Church. And I wonder if we're modeling what Antioch has done. I'm not sure if we're more evangelistically focused, if we're more inwardly focused. It's not really a happy-go-lucky feeling. The cool thing is the leadership of the church, back in March, we kind of got together, and the elders and the staff, and we got together and had a, had a retreat to, to begin to think about how First Christian Church of Clinton can be more intentional, How we can begin to to figure out what our mission is, what our values are, and what our vision is. Where do we feel like God is leading us as a church? We begin to to be able to just pray and to, to discern and begin this process of figuring out where God is planning to take our church. And it feels very timely just in the midst of where Clinton is going and and what's going to happen with the power plant? And what's going to happen with, you know, all these different things that are going on in our lives today? And we, we know that God is, is going to use us for some good. And we're going to be excited to, to roll the, the vision and, and the, the values out to, to you all in the spring, in January. That's our, our hope, is to be able to roll those things out uh, so that you can jump on board with where our church is headed. We're super excited about that. But also, we need to think about where do we want to head? And where do we feel like God is leading us? Individually. We've been thinking about that together as a church, but where is God taking us as a church? I'm not sure if God wants you to live in your isolated box to be worried about all the stuff that's happening in, in the world and in our community, and to just live in fear and to do nothing and to just sit by idly. But I think God is, is, is wanting us to, to act in a huge way and to be a force for good. And we're going to talk more about that here in a minute. Verse 27. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so we see the church was mobilized and on mission. Being mobilized, this idea of of being mobilized, is really just a coming together for action. The church came together for good, to be a force for good, in a a place where this is really uncommon. This was the first mission of the early church was to come together and to send some relief as a force for good in the midst of some widespread famines that were happening. And what happened? Because of the relief of some of the early Christians, God's name gets spread further and further and further. It's pretty cool. We're going to be watching a a video during our offering time. And uh, it's just a video of, of how our church has been blessed um, most of you know that we are named in a, a very large estate, um, and we received that money in December, and a lot of that money is, is going towards our renovation project that's happening right now, and it's very unexpected. One of the things our, our leadership decided a long time ago was that we are going to give any amount over $1,000 or something that was not expected, I can't remember exactly what, Um, But any amount um, that that comes in unexpected, 10% was going to go directly to missions. And when you talk about a $2.2 million estate gift being given, you think $220,000, and all of a sudden, it becomes a little bit harder to give 10%. And and you think about, uh, you know, the the kind of, you know, rub, how could we use the $220,000? you know could that go more towards more renovation project in our selfish nature and in who we are we tend to want to keep that we want to keep that for our good and for whatever we need and you know all this different stuff but the 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 leadership of the church decided we were going to continue on and, and we we're going to continue to be faithful and give and give the way the way we ask our congregants to give to give sacrificially And so we did, and the cool thing is, as we were planning out our construction process, as we were trying to figure out all the bids, and we're thinking, okay, we might not be able to do all of it because, uh, you know, construction prices are going to be higher. You know what the bids came in at? Within $7,000 of how much we had budgeted. $7,000. God has been at work, and God blesses the faithfulness and he puts us on mission for a very specific purpose. So just as I think about our church and us being on mission, are we evangelistically focused? I I think we're struggling a little bit in that area. Several years ago, I got to attend a church plant in San Diego. And uh, this church had been in existence for like maybe four or five years, not very long. And they had a baptism that particular Sunday morning and uh, as they had the girl kind of come up and give her testimony, and, and then they baptized her, and they, she got back to her seat, and they just said, hey, would you stand up? So they had her stand up, and they said, if you were able to share the gospel with this girl, would you stand up? Like three or four people stood up. they kind of been influential in her accepting Jesus. And then they said, now, if, if you um, were able to share the gospel with these other people, Would you stand up? And more people stood up. And pretty soon, half their congregation was standing because they had been evangelistically focused. And the cool thing is, it it inspired me. It inspired me that, man, there's a ripple effect that begins to happen. As you share the incredible good news that we have and that we've been given and entrusted to, we have a hope like no one else has in this world. There's all kinds of, of hopelessness and, and fear. And, and the world around us can, can just, you know, come, come closing in on us. But we have the only answer that provides a hope. And not just a, a blind hope, but a true life-giving hope. And we are selfishly holding on to that hope. And keeping it for ourselves, and we have got to begin telling other people about the incredible good news. We need to hear the gospel in our own lives, and we need to understand our fallenness every day and realize our need for Jesus is every day, and our, our friends and our families and, and everyone around us' need for Jesus is every day, and we have that hope, and we have got to begin telling other people about Him. There's a lot of space in this room open right now. There's a lot of people in in Clinton, Illinois, and in DeWitt County that should be in here hearing this incredible good news of hope. I do love how the early church, though, how Antioch was, was mobilized to do good. And I don't think we're doing a bad job here. We have... Uh, you know, just an incredible benevolence ministry that does a great work of, of being on mission and helping those in need. But we have room to grow. We have not arrived yet. We, we could be giving more. And, and like we talked about, we are really, really blessed as a church, and we have a lot more that we could be giving. I just love how when, when we are faithful to God's work, when we do exactly what he's calling us to do, and when we're stepping out in faith, how it just builds our faith, how it inspires us to grow, and the church can become a force for good. Just a a final couple things, as I just think about us and in relation to this early church, you know, it's pretty apparent that this early church These people were committed. These people were committed to the cause of of spreading the gospel, to the cause of of following Jesus. They were being transformed, and they were doing these incredible works. And I just wonder, are you more committed today? Am I more committed today to the gospel of Jesus than I was when I accepted Christ? Or that you were when you accepted Christ. Are you more committed? Do you look more like Jesus now than you did back then? Because we should be. Each day we should be dying a little more to our selfish selves and growing a little closer to looking more like Jesus. Will we continue to struggle? Absolutely. But should we look more like Jesus? Yes. Are you as committed today as you were when you first heard the gospel, or are you more committed? Are you more in, as you've understood the gospel more fully? Here's what I know. I know that we still have a lot of work to do. Our church, myself, all of you, we have a lot of work to do. And I just want to ask this question. How can you contribute to the church's mission? How can can you contribute to the the mission of our church? You've probably heard it, if you've been attending here for very long, it's glorify God, win the lost, and teach the saved. And we're talking about, as a part of our vision and values process, we're talking about rewording that and trying to figure out exactly uh, where we need to be going with that, but That's our mission. That's why we exist. It's going to be those same values, maybe worded a little bit differently, but that's exactly why we exist. We exist to glorify God. We exist to teach the saved. And we exist to tell the lost. If we're not doing all of those things, there's still work for us to do. And so my question is, how can you contribute to the church's mission? This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for staff members. This isn't just for, uh, you know, excited people. Every one of us should be contributing to the mission of the church. Let me pray for us. Father, this can be uh, just a tough message, God, but it can also be an inspiration to where we need to head and to what uh, what you're, what you're doing in what you have done as in the early church, God, but also to what you're doing in the future, what you want to continue doing, God. Father, I pray, I pray that you would just be doing a big work in us, God, that you would be changing us each and every day to look more like you. And God, would you give us just this passion and this fire, God, to tell others more, about your son, Jesus, and about the grace that he offers and the hope that he provides. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. We're gonna stand. I'm gonna ask you to, to stand and we're just gonna uh, continue uh, just our, our worship time and to, to sing um, some praises. And if you um, if you need prayer, if you, if you need somebody to, to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, man, I would love to do that. I'd love to be able to tell more people about Jesus. But if there's any of you that needs to make a decision or prayer time, I would invite you to come up uh, during this song.